Law Enforcement Today radio show. I'm your host. My name's John J. Wiley. In addition to being a radio broadcaster, I'm a retired police sergeant. For the latest news articles and much more, check out our website, letradioshow.com. In the Law Enforcement Today show, we'll be joined by special guests. We'll be talking about their experiences and issues affecting law enforcement officers, first responders, their families, their community, and victims of horrendous crimes. Be sure to like us on Facebook. Our page is Law Enforcement Today Radio Show. Check out the daily articles on our website, letradioshow.com. And while you're there, download our free app. We are thrilled to partner with Shatterproof at FHE the world-renowned treatment program for first responders because, at times, helpers need help. Exclusive treatment services for first responders who may suffer from exposure to trauma, PTSD, anxiety, depression, and substance abuse. For free 24-7 information, call 833-776-1420. 833-776-1420. That's 833-776-1420 or online at FHEHealth.com. That's FHEHealth.com. Under programs, you'll find details about Shatterproof. Calling us from my old stomping grounds, the great state of Maryland, Stephanie Moore on the phone. Stephanie, thanks so much for joining us on the Law Enforcement Today show. Very much appreciated. Thank you very much for having me today. I want to thank you in advance because we're going to be talking about some stuff that is really, really difficult to talk about. And it takes a a lot of courage on your part to discuss what happened to you and what life is like now. Uh, Before we get into details, Stephanie was a police officer in Prince George's County, Maryland. By the way, for those who don't know that area, that's a suburb of Washington, D.C. That is where the, the Redskins Stadium is, is in Landover, Maryland, in Prince George's County. And to be honest with you, I remember way back in the day, Stephanie, when I was in the Baltimore Police Department, actually, Prince George is doing laterals. I went down there and tested and decided, I just love Baltimore too much. I couldn't leave. I think that was back in 1985. Wow. Well, in 1992, when I was trying to get on the police department, the only two departments I um, applied for were Baltimore City and Prince George's County. And I'm sure they both said, come on down. They did. Just yeah. Prince George's County it was able to answer me sooner. Gotcha. And I, I looked at it because, well, my family was not far from there. They were in, in St. Mary's County, Maryland. And so Prince George's County had been a lot closer. They paid more at the time. They had better equipment. They had better working conditions, better uniforms, take-home cars, all this stuff. And I don't know what it was. I just I had this love affair with Baltimore in my department. I could not leave, even though on paper, it looked like a better opportunity. I know at the time, um, Prince George's County was, um, if not the leading police agency in the area, everyone looked to them for their training um, and their education and their standard operating procedures and definitely their pay and um, everything you said, the benefits, the, the starting salary, the uniforms. It also, both places, you can't argue, Prince George's County, Baltimore County, Baltimore City, there's definitely work to do there. You would never be bored. No, you certainly would not. Before we get into details of the conversation, Stephanie is seeking a presidential pardon from uh, President Trump. She's being represented by the Law Enforcement Legal Defense Fund. You can go to their website. You can get details about her case. You can figure out how you can donate. Uh, Their website is police 
policedefense.org. That's policedefense.org. Unlike some of these shysters that call and say they represent, this is a legit group doing legit work. That's policedefense.org. I loved being a police, Stephanie. And from what I read about your case, I think you did too. Oh, most definitely. Ever since I was a little girl, that is the only job I ever wanted to do when I grew up. And we would love to say that in most cases, you want to do this from childhood. Mine began like teenage years. I really wanted to do it. I fell in love with it. My career was ended due to violence and and a physical permanent line of duty injury. And that happens for a lot of people, not everyone. And then they have the cases where the the, the man or woman goes their entire career, retires, lives happily ever after, almost like a Cinderella story. Yours was neither one of those. Yours ended, to be honest, in a way that's very bizarre. Yes, yes. Um, One that I never anticipated, never saw coming. I had hoped for and anticipated having a, a very long career, going out on my own terms, working a minimum of 20 years. I had goals um, when I first came on the department of, you know, what types of jobs I wanted to do in the police department. And it was very simple. I wanted to be in patrol. I wanted to be a police canine handler. And I wanted to eventually work my way up into the criminal investigations division and hopefully someday become a homicide detective. Um, Those were my goals. And I set out early on to do it. I was able to accomplish almost all of them before my career was unexpectedly cut short. That's about the only way you can describe it, unexpectedly cut short. Let's go right to the the meat of the story. You were basically indicted, arrested, and charged by the Department of Justice for violation of civil rights. And you went through two trials. The first one was basically a hung jury in your favor. And they decided to retry you again. This is many years after the so-called incident, correct? Correct. It was um, the incident occurred um, September twenty-first, nineteen ninety-five, when I was a young police canine handler riding with my training officer. And uh, the arrest happened. It was a by-the-book arrest. There were no issues, no questions, no concerns about the arrest. And five years later, one day before the statute of limitations was to expire, I, along with my training officer and the arresting officer, were indicted for federal civil rights violations stemming from our actions taken during that arrest. We were indicted September 20th, 2000, uh, five years after the incident occurred. Did you see this coming? Did you have any idea? Was there complaints by the, the, the suspects involved? There were no complaints by the suspects involved. They were arrested. They were charged and convicted. They served some jail time for the offense, and they were illegal aliens. They were both deported after the arrest. There was never any um, concerns with my supervisor or my training officer or my chain of command. Uh, The night of the arrest, because the arrest involved use of force, I wrote the required documents, the commander's logs and the reports that are required to document an arrest of that nature. Um, They went up the chain of command. They were reviewed. They were processed. They were checked. There were never any issues. The arrest was done in accordance with my training and my education. It was a standard procedure at that time to, if you were presented with this type of um, force during a breaking and entering in progress in the middle of the night, that you could respond with 
the level of force I responded with utilizing my canine was an appropriate response back uh, in 1995. We'll go into details of this more, but the basic was there was a call for a burglary in progress. Uh, you got called to back up a, a smaller agency. You went there. You had your canine dog. You had a training officer with you. There were two suspects involved. One of them decided to run, and, and basically the command was given to let the dog loose, and the dog took the guy down, held him, and then he was arrested and got some stitches on his calf. Was that is that a fair assessment? That is a fair assessment. Um, I, I mean, I can go into greater detail if you'd like. Or we'll do that when that we come is. back. And the reason I say that is because back when I was on the job, if we had a, a, a burglary at night, one of the first things to do is call K-9. And they, if the, usually the, the suspect would come out. But if not, you send the dog in. The handler would follow, and the dog would you get him. And it usually involved a dog bite. If the person ran, they would let the dog loose, and the dog would take him down. The dog was trained to tackle them basically by lower extremity and hold them in a position until they could be arrested. And by the way, I remember being in foot pursuits where they yelled, canines here, and we all had to stop because they let the dog loose, and the dog goes running by us. And, and gets a bad guy. And that was standard operating procedure back in those days. This is Law Enforcement Today's show. We're talking with Stephanie Moore. Don't go anywhere. We'll be right back. This would have been our 25th anniversary. If he'd said something, we would have gotten help. But now I feel responsible for missing the signs. I don't think the guilt will ever fully go away. Daddy let me wear his helmet so I could pretend to be like him fighting fires. I wish he was here. I want him back. Every year, more first responders die from suicide than in the line of duty. Do you feel like giving up because of PTSD or other symptoms? Call FHE Health at 833-776-1420 to learn about our specialized treatment program for first responders. Evidence-based therapies for trauma, depression, and other issues. Innovative neurotechnologies that relieve symptoms and speed brain recovery. Peer support groups with others who understand what it's like. FHE Health can help you show up for the people who depend on you as a happier, healthier version of you. Because life is so much better with you around. Call FHE Health now at 833-776-1420. Online at FHEHealth.com. Return our conversation with Stephanie Moore. Stephanie is a former police officer from Prince George's County, Maryland, seeking a presidential pardon. She was convicted of violation of civil rights. Before we end the break, Stephanie, we're talking about the incident. It was a, a call, burglary in progress, two guys, illegal immigrants, illegal aliens, whatever term people want to use. I don't, I don't get hung up in that. So you arrive with your training officer and your canine dog. Take us through what happened then. So the incident happened September 21st, 1995. And to give um, your listeners a little background, the Tacoma Park Police Department for the past several weeks prior to September 21st have been experiencing a rash of nighttime B&Es to commercial buildings through the roof. So much so that the Tacoma Park Police Department set up a burglary surveillance detail to watch businesses in the middle of the night. And lo and behold, on September 21st, the burglary surveillance detail watched two men jump a fence, climb up onto the roof of the building, and make motions as if they were breaking into the roof of the building to get into the building. Tacoma Park Police Department... I'm sorry, what time was that? After midnight. Okay. 
So the reason I ask that is from from a police point of view, there's really no rational reason to explain why two guys would jump a fence and go up on a roof of a building at that time of night. They're not there to watch the stars. It's it's because they're going to commit a crime. I I can't think of another way of explaining it better. Correct. It, it, It wasn't appropriate activity or behavior for that area and that time of night. So Tacoma Park Police, being a small police agency, they didn't have enough officers to surround the building and set up a perimeter. Prince George's County Police Department offers mutual aid to Tacoma Park Police Department, and they requested our assistance. So patrol officers from Prince George's County and a canine team from Prince George's County came to help Tacoma Park that night. I just happened to be the canine officer that night. I was riding with my training officer. I was a brand new canine officer riding with my training officer. And um, we arrived on scene um, and took up a position on one side of the building. Tacoma Park Police had their police dog on the opposite side of the building. Then at some point, the Maryland State Police helicopter flew over top and the two suspects started to run. Um, They ended up running to my side of the building They dropped to the ground. We gave them commands. They failed to comply with our commands, and one of them made an attempt to flee or run away down an alleyway. Um, At that point, I uh, released my canine, and he made apprehension by biting and holding the suspect in his calf. Uh, The other suspect was taken into custody by another patrol officer on scene that night uh, because as I was making the arrest with my police dog, the second suspect came up behind me, and the the back officers were concerned that he might do me some harm. Right. So both both suspects were taken into custody, arrested, charged, um, and convicted of B and E. On the surface, that looks like a routine police call and a routine way of handling a nighttime commercial burglary. Nothing about that. I'm not saying it's to diminish what you all did that night. Your bravery was phenomenal, but. Nothing about that raises any red flags. And uh, um, police are the hardest on each other of anybody. People like to think that we all turn a blind eye to, we don't. I've seen nothing and what I've read, uh, nothing what you said that would strike me, even as a supervisor, as a sergeant, to say, there's something wrong with this. There's nothing about this. No. And even that night in the moment, my training officer I I couldn't make decisions on the scene that night without the approval of my training officer. I was required to write a commander's log, uh, some documents within the police department documenting the use of force and the arrest uh, because it involved force. And supervisors reviewed that report and they reviewed the use of force and they thought it appropriate. At the time, and maybe still is today, the police department um, had a use of force continuum and It was basically um, a guide or a rule of thumb. If you were presented with this amount of force, this is how you could respond. And um, the use of the canine for someone fleeing the scene of a B&E was an appropriate response uh, back in 1995 by not only Prince George's County Police, but the five prevalent police agencies around surrounding the area of the time. And I'm not an expert in policing, but I do know policing in Maryland and in Baltimore was standard operating procedure. I believe in D.C. it was standard operating procedure. I believe in the county surrounding you, it was standard operating procedure. Did the procedures change after 95 or subsequently after that? Well, the procedures changed 
after my conviction. And here's where it gets really crazy. This was the incident was in 1995. The two guys were arrested. They they were found guilty. They did their time. They're deported or left on their own accord. One or the other. Uh, it doesn't really matter. And you're going about doing your job as a police officer for what five more years? Correct, five more years. And then what happened? So I was continuing working in the job I loved. Um, I had been promoted from police officer first class to corporal. I uh, was working my second dog by then. I also had received the good fortune to be able to be not only a patrol dog handler, but also a bomb dog handler. I became the first bomb dog handler, first bomb dog team um, in Prince George's County history. But five years later, one day before the statute of limitations was to expire, myself, my training officer, and the arresting officer from that night were indicted on federal civil rights violations stemming from that arrest on September 21st, 1995. Who made the complaint? It wasn't one of the guys was arrested. So uh, who who initiated all of this? Or, or if you can't say, that's fine. Just say something in general. But was it someone that was a, involved in the arrest or was it just the DOJ took it upon themselves to do it? Well, the suspects never complained. All I can say is that we were indicted because the Department of Justice had been investigating uh, the Tacoma Park Police Department and a, a particular Tacoma Park sergeant for issues that were not related to my incident. Um, this is where it becomes very confusing and very tricky and very political. We're all over social media. Be sure to like and follow our Facebook page, Law Enforcement Today Radio Show. We're on Twitter. Follow us at LET Radio Show Podcast. And on Instagram, look for LET Radio Show Podcast. If you've missed past episodes of the Law Enforcement Today Radio Show, never fear. You can listen to them online as a podcast. Just go to our website, letradioshow.com where you'll find all the podcast episodes and much more that's letradioshow.com we are talking with stephanie moore stephanie was a police officer in prince george's county maryland brief overview for those just tuning in now was a canine handler and wound up having to release her dog uh, on a fleeing burglar that the dog wound up apprehending him, is arrested, no big deal, and the DOJ took it upon themselves to indict her and two other officers for violations of civil rights. She was tried twice, convicted, and sentenced to 10 years. This is Law Enforcement Today's show. We're going to get a short break. We'll be right back. Flintstone Media has been the digital messaging bedrock of several brands and businesses, serving as a highly resourceful podcast production house and consultancy firm for over six years. Work with a leader in the industry and add a new podcast to your brand's content offerings. From show development and setup through recording and distribution, Jemmy will lend her experience launching dozens of podcasts and producing over a thousand episodes, making creating your show a simple and easy turnkey process for you. Visit FlintstoneMedia.com for podcast samples. That's FlintstoneMedia.com. One of the most frequent questions we see is, where can I find great podcasts? Do you have any suggestions? Yes, we do. So we decided to start our own podcast network on Law Enforcement Today. That's right. You can find top podcasts about law enforcement on our website and our free app. Go to letradioshow.com. 
click the Be Heard tab, and there you'll find the LET Podcast Network. We'll be adding more podcasts from first responders and more. Again, to find the Law Enforcement Today Podcast Network, go to letradioshow.com and click on the Be Heard in our menu. Or download our free app today at letradioshow.com. This portion of the Law Enforcement Today radio show is brought to you in part by Pet Rescue Life Facebook page. Everyone's welcome at the Pet Rescue Life Facebook page, where you'll find fun, informative, and enjoyable posts daily. Purebred, mixed breeds, rescues, we love them all. Be sure to like the Pet Rescue Life Facebook page. Return to conversation with Stephanie Moore. Stephanie is a former Prince George's County, Maryland police officer, and uh, she's looking for a pardon from President Trump for violation of civil rights conviction. We're going to talk more about the trial and the charges and, and everything else, but this is, I got to say this, Stephanie, I'm getting very upset listening to what you were put through and uh, what you and your family had to endure. I remember back in 1988, 89, somewhere along those lines, I went to the FBI office in Woodlawn, Maryland. I was in uniform, and I said I wanted to make a, a violation of civil rights complaint against uh, certain investigators in my uh, agency, and I was told that, A, I didn't have civil rights because of my race and because of my job. That was exactly what the FBI agent told me. And I'm not saying to make stuff up, I'm not saying that to create controversy. I'm just saying that's the reality of what that legislation and those laws are about. So you guys are going about doing your job. You're policing, you're dedicated, and then the hammer comes down from DOJ. You, your training officer, and another officer are all federally indicted. Yes, correct. What a horrible feeling that must have been, because I don't know about you, I always viewed myself as one of the good guys. I still do. And oh. and even have to go to a grand jury, which I did, and it's to, to be viewed upon as somehow being a bad guy or criminal is just indescribable from my point of view. No, it was shocking to me, and it was devastating to me. I, I never imagined in a million years that I would find myself in that position. I knew that I did my job. I knew that I did my job properly. I knew that I did my job according to my training and education and the standard operating procedures of the department. I knew that my training officer approved uh, my actions and that my commanders approved my actions. I never in a million years would think that I would find myself under scrutiny or no. in trouble for doing my job. And I, I I, quite frankly, if I didn't see the facts in front of me, quite frankly, to be honest with you, I would never believe this could be possible. But it is possible, and it did happen to you. And I hate to say this, but it's happened to other people since then. Oh, definitely. We have probably the best justice system in the world, but sadly, it is flawed and my case is definitely one of those cases where it it shows how overzealous the Department of Justice can be, how they can manipulate facts and witnesses to fulfill an agenda they have, how um, it may not be about you, but if you don't cooperate, they'll get you anyways. My case points out controversy and screams of 
mishandling by the yeah. Department of Justice. I think you're being nice in your description. I think it, it reeks of political corruption. When I'm, I'm not talking about money. I'm not talking about stuff. I'm talking about politics and power. That's what I'm talking about and people with agendas. And I hate to say this, but we hear about all the time in the news, especially from the DOJ, especially from an agency that I always respected in my law enforcement career, the FBI. There's plenty of cases of people doing inappropriate things for political reasons. And inside the Beltway, the terminology they have for Washington, D.C., which inside the Beltway, it's a different world than outside. Oh, it definitely is. Definitely is. The um, case didn't arise because of my actions. It arose because there was an investigation into the police department as a whole. There was an investigation into Tacoma Park as a whole, and there was an investigation into a Tacoma Park supervisor who was in trouble for his own civil rights violations, who happened to be on the scene of my, of the apprehension the night of September 21st. Uh, now, that, that makes sense why you appeared on their radar, but why they went after you, I, I just don't get it. So you were indicted. That means federal trial. The first trial, it was basically a hung jury, correct? The first trial was a trial that the Department of Justice brought forward according to the facts of the case. It was very simple, um, to the point. The facts of the case were presented, and a jury acquitted me of one charge and hung me 11 to 1 in favor of acquittal. The same um, results from my training supervisor. He was acquitted of one charge, and the jury hung him 11 to 1 in favor of acquittal. The arresting officer from Tacoma Park, the judge threw out the charges after that first trial against him. It's a horrifying experience to be. I've been sued federally for violations of our rights, and, and we won. But it, it's, again, being the defendant is just an extremely uncomfortable, awkward position and something I never thought I'd be part of. And I, I'll, be, I'll be willing to bet you never thought you'd be the defendant. Never in a million years. I, I was proud. I um, worked very hard growing up in high school and college. I, um, this was the, the only job I ever wanted. I worked hard in the academy. I got good grades. I was promoted at every opportunity I could. I was a decorated police officer. I did my job. I worked hard. I protected the citizens of Prince George's County. I treated people well, just like I would want to be treated. And no, in a million years, I never thought I would be on the other side of things as a defendant in a federal criminal case. So when you got the the word that it was a mistrial. They were hung jury, 11-1 in your favor. Was it a sense of relief, like, okay, now we're done with this? It was definitely a sense of a guarded relief. Uh, and I believed that people saw the case for what it was, that there was no improper actions had occurred, and that people had, the jury had listened, and they were very... Um, deliberate and thorough in their decision-making and it just I, I guess I had a sense of relief um, I we, we there we knew that there was an opportunity for the Department of Justice to retry me although with a verdict like that an acquittal of one charge and 11 to 1 in favor of acquittal by the jury it was often unheard of that the government would bring bring you back to court well when you have cases involving a traditional bad guy, for lack of better words, in a federal trial, and 
it's a hung jury and they're acquitted on one charge and it's so lopsided the other one, it's almost a guarantee that there won't be a retrial. But that was not the case for you. That was not the case. Uh, Another stunning turn in this whole chain of events, uh, the government elected to retry my training officer and myself. So about six months later, we stood trial again uh, for the remaining charge. And by the way, the the so-called the suspects are originally involved in the burglary, the witnesses in their trial, and I'm having a hard time saying those words that way, they have both left the country. Were they there Correct. at trial? So for the second trial, it's my understanding that the government went to San Salvador to find one of the witnesses and bring him back so he could be a witness and testify in my trial against me. And the second suspect was brought back from a federal prison in Texas. Uh, He was serving time for some other criminal um, offenses that he had been tried and convicted on, and he was in federal prison in Texas, again, awaiting deportation. So just to, before we get a break, just to encapsulate this, and I want people to understand this. You know, a police officer with a sterling record, great record of service, arrest two guys under the, the the supervision of a field training officer with a canine dog. One of them gets bit when he's fleeing. Uh, they One leaves the country either voluntarily or is deported, and the other one is in federal prison for other things because they're not angels. These are not choir boys we're talking about. And our Department of Justice, at their expense, at our taxpayers' expense, goes and brings them back from El Salvador, or wherever you said it was, to bring back to testify against you as a police officer, Right. Yes. It it gets more bizarre from here on out. We are talking with Stephanie Moore. This is the Law Enforcement Today Show. Trust me, I tell you, don't go anywhere. We'll be right back. You don't want to miss this. There's only one official Facebook page. What you do, you do a search on Facebook for Law Enforcement Today radio show. Click like and follow. There you'll find updates about upcoming episodes of the radio show. You can contact me. We also find unique, one-of-a-kind editorials and news articles. That is our Facebook page, Law Enforcement Today Radio Show. Be sure to click like and follow. We'll see you there. Missed an episode of Law Enforcement Today? You don't have to anymore because now you can listen to it on Podopolo, the free new app that makes listening anytime, anywhere so easy. Catch up on shows you've missed and chat with John J. Wiley right there too. Download for free on the Apple or Google Play stores. That's Podopolo. And John J. Wiley wants to hear from you inside Podopolo. This is Law Enforcement Show. We're turning a conversation with Stephanie Moore. Stephanie is a former Prince George's County, Maryland police officer and indicted, charged, convicted of violation of civil rights. She's here to talk about that. Stephanie, before we go back in our conversation, I have a rule of thumb, and there's very few things I will correct people on. You know, they'll say, if they tell people, oh, that meet so-and-so, meet Jay, he's an ex-police officer, I always correct them. I always say, no, I'm retired. And we have, in my book, we have retired we have former, that means people left for whatever reason uh, in good standing, and X, that usually means people who quit or are arrested or fired. In your case, I, I'm using the terminology former because you don't strike me as the X type, and nothing about what you did 
is worthy of that kind of label. Uh, if I thought it was, I'd be the first one to say it. I'd be arguing and saying, no, you're an ex, you're not, you're former. Uh, and I, I think what happened to you is just absolutely horrible. I appreciate it. I, I like former better than um I, I get it. Yeah, I hate, I hate that term, most, ex. Most people don't know that I, I get a pension from the police department now. Oh, good. I, 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 I'm not retired. I, I had to resign. I was allowed to resign following my conviction, but I um, do get a pension from them. Well, I'm glad to hear that. Let's go back to the, the second trial where they made the decision to try you again, brought these guys back from federal prisons and also other parts of the world to testify against you. Uh, and the hammer came down. I, I don't know that the, the facts didn't change between the first trial and the second trial. So what changed in their approach? Oh, the second trial, the government did not try the case according to the facts. It was just a political and a smear campaign. They um, were able, the rules of evidence in the federal system are a bit different than they are in the state and local systems, but they were able to use my other uses of force on the police department um, against me as prior bad acts. And um, they also painted me to be someone I'm not. Uh, they they played the race card and they painted me to be someone who um, would routinely sick her dog on minorities and and that was couldn't be farther from the truth. That's that's a real can of worms. There, it, I had a reputation uh, of being quick with my hands. I worked in a very violent area, and I'll be honest with you, Prince George's County has a lot of areas that are like that with a lot of hardcore criminals, and and they will challenge you, they will fight you. I had many uses of force. I documented all of them. I never had one sustained excessive force complaint ever. But you're absolutely right. They can bring that all into play and paint a picture of you as being some sort of gunslinging, out-of-control cowboy. Correct. And, and, and they did. And that was the difference between the first and second trial. Um, and what's interesting is by sheer randomness and I, for my second trial, when I was convicted, I ran into, on two separate occasions, I ran into two jurors who had sat on my trial. And they, um, when they saw me, they broke into tears. And I, um, I didn't recognize them, but my significant other, my son's father, did recognize them. And I was able to get from them why they were so upset. They were so upset because they never believed I was guilty, didn't think I would go to the, go to jail. And, they were just devastated by, by what their decision and, or their, their, their inability to stand strong, um, what it led to. And it you led were, my conviction and ultimately going to prison. You were convicted and you were sentenced to 10 years. Yes. 10, ten and, years. And in the federal system, 10 years means you serve how long? Well, in the federal system, you have to serve um, 85% of your time. If, if you behave and do everything you're supposed to do while you're in prison, you are um, rewarded with 15% good time. But I, I would like to point out for the year I was convicted um, and sentenced, 2001, for the particular crime I was sentenced to, deprivation of civil rights under color of law, that year I received a 10-year sentence. My sentence was four times the average sentence for any officer that had been convicted of that that same year. Where did they send you to? Oh, they sent me to federal prison camp Alderson in Alderson, West Virginia. It was one of the largest standalone female prison camps in the federal system. This so it, it's so devastating to hear. And and part of me is 
and I know it's a long time ago for you, and you lived it. Your family lived lived through it. But I, I'm tearing up thinking about what what that must have been like to to get that kind of devastating news and then have to do that kind of time for just doing your job. That's all you did. I I've not heard anything or read anything. Not one report. You did anything out of the ordinary. Uh, it was devastating. My I had a two-year-old son at the time I was convicted, and I was allowed to remain free on bond pending my appeal. But a year later, my appeal was heard, and I, it was denied. He was three years old when I had to leave him and surrender uh, myself to federal prison. And it was, it was just, I was plucked out of my life. It was very surreal, almost like you just could not believe it was happening. Um, I had a family and a home and a job and, you know, a job I loved and a family I loved and a three-year-old son at home. And one day and the next day I was off to federal prison, stripped of everything. What words are you used to describe having to do that kind of time in that kind of facility? Oh, so being in prison, um, it's, it's, um, isolating, you're, you're taken away from everything you know. It is mentally challenging. It is emotionally challenging. Sometimes it can be physically challenging. It's, um, you know, cinder block walls, cement floors, steel bunk beds. There's nothing comfortable about prison whatsoever. The loneliness and the boredom sets in. The isolation sets in. You do your best to stay strong and stay focused. Um, I, I definitely couldn't have survived without my faith, number one, my family, and my friends. I, um, I, owe, I owe my survival to my, my, my deep faith um, and the support of my friends and my family. I'm glad you made it through it. I'm not glad you had to go through any of this. Uh, and I'm really, really grateful that you're taking time to talk about this. It's almost as if you're talking about this happening to someone else, but I know this happened to you. And I know you're doing that for the purposes of the interview. How would you describe your life now? Uh, my life now, I am nine years out from being released from prison. And when, when you're in prison, you, you lose all your ability to, to make a choice and to have any kind of control over your day-to-day activities in your life. And when you're in prison for as long as I, I have been, or as long as I was, you come out and coming back out into the world is like shell shock. There's definitely an adjustment period um, to get yourself back on your feet. And when I left for prison, I, I would have liked to describe myself as hard working in a job I loved, like a middle class American, just earning a good, decent living and, you know, making my way through the world. Nothing fancy, nothing great, but I could provide for myself and my family. When I got home from prison, I had to start over, and it was it was worse than starting over fresh out of college because I now had a felony conviction. And um, so it's nine years later, and I'm almost back. I can't compare my life now to what it was when I left for prison. It's not fair to do so, but at this point, I'm almost back to where I used to be. It's been a fight, and it's been a struggle, but... Um, I was fortunate that I never lost my connection with my son through all the years I was in prison, and I was able to come home and 
I lost a lot of years with him. I missed a lot of firsts with him. I missed his first day of school, his first loose tooth, his first sporting event. But um, I'm fortunate to say with all the support I had, I was able to pick up and, and, and start fresh with him. And you're seeking a pardon. Oh, and people get more information. This You're being represented by the Law Enforcement Legal Defense Fund. Their website is policedefense.org. That's policedefense.org. What would you say that a pardon would do for you and your family? The pardon would put an end to a long and difficult saga. It would write, in my mind, it would write a wrong, even though it, it doesn't reverse my conviction, but a pardon would also restore one of the most valuable rights we have as citizens of the United States. It would restore my right to vote in a federal election. A pardon would allow me to travel to other countries. One of the opportunities I had uh, when I was released from prison was to go on uh, my child's senior class, high school senior class trip to Australia, New Zealand, and Fiji. And unfortunately, I was not able to attend because Australia would not issue me a visa because I have a felony conviction. And also, I have missed out on professional opportunities, jobs, and promotions and advancements because of my felony conviction. So a pardon would definitely improve my position professionally stephanie i wish you nothing but the best please keep in touch let us know what happens with the progress on the pardon this is the law enforcement show thanks so much for being a guest thank you so much for having me i'd like to thank our guests so much for coming on the law enforcement today radio show the law enforcement today radio show is a nationally syndicated radio show broadcast on numerous stations once a week and growing If you enjoyed the podcast version of the show, please do me a big favor. Tell a friend. I'll be back in just a couple days with a brand new episode of the Law Enforcement Today radio show and podcast. Until then, this is John J. Wiley. See ya.